0: Your pre-qualification process and your sales process will be determined by the value of the client. So the higher the value, the the deeper and the longer the pre-qualification process should be and the longer that the sales process should be. Uh, The more impulse purchase that you're selling, uh, the less stringent, the pre-qualification questionnaire should be. So the simple uh, answer to your question is, the reason why you qualify them is, you want to have enough information about them which helps you to predetermine whether they are the right buyer for you and to also obviously understand the problems that they have uh, and the challenges that they have to the product that that they're looking to buy and the product that you're selling. Uh, so so that's, that's why you want to pre-qualify them. But also by pre-qualifying, what you want to do is, and again, this, this depends on the value of the customer or the client, you want them to jump through uh, some hoops so that they demonstrate a willingness and a seriousness to make an effort to buy from you. Uh, and again, the higher the value, the more important that that is for you. And in your pre-qualification questionnaire and, and your process, the, generally what I find is most salespeople are very keen to try and sell to somebody ASAP. Uh, and I can t- share with you uh, from experience that you want to s- slow down that process. Okay. So if somebody says, can I speak to you this afternoon? And they're calling you in the morning. The answer should be no. Because what you want to do is through that uh, process, you want to build enough opportunities to be able to share information with your potential client, information about you and your business so that they become a much warmer lead. So you want to be thinking about what things do I need to share with every single prospect to make them a better prospect and to improve and increase the likelihood of conversion. So let me just give you two or three very quick examples. One thing could be you might want to share some written testimonials with them. So before you jump on the phone with them or do a Skype, Zoom or a face-to-face meeting, you'd want to share some testimonials. And again, uh, Jamie's talked about uh, some of the CRM uh, software available out there like Active Campaign, I use HubSpot. So I've got a a workflow there, which basically uh, enables those emails to go out automatically. It also enables people to book uh, a a meeting automatically, but I'm not gonna go into the mechanics. Something else which you might wanna do is, you might have video testimonials. You might wanna share those with them. You might have a particular process that, that you go through, which is quite important for the customer to understand. You might wanna share that with them. You might have a physical product Uh, which is really good and you might want to share a demonstration with them. So those are some of the things you might want to share with a lead or a prospect to make sure that they are fully aware of who you are so that you've built up more credibility about you and your business so that you've built up more believability about how good you are, so that when they come and sit in front of you, be it physically or through Skype, Zoom, or some other avenue, that that they've increased uh, the likelihood of signing up. Uh, So those are some of the additional things I think you should be doing above and beyond what Jamie's already shared. You've got to first of all, meet your prospect where they are. So from what you've just told me, You're making a number of assumptions about them. uh, And you're also trying to determine whether or not you want to work with them, which is good, by the way. No no problem with that whatsoever. But I I think it's important for your potential customer to know that you're both deciding whether you want to work with each other or not. So you talk about a brochure. Absolutely. You could send them a brochure which tells them more about your business, about your values, about uh, some of the great stuff that you've done for your clients. Again, having written testimonials, even better, having written case studies, which goes to them uh, before they speak to you. Uh, Above and beyond that, uh, again, depending on the value of the client, you might want to send them a direct mail package with something in there, which demonstrates and shows what your business is all about. Uh, so if you had nothing else, for example, and I'm making this up, if you had nothing else, so, so uh, my main business is accountancy. So if I want to send them a direct mail package, I might, for example, want to send them a calculator or something else linked with accountancy. Uh, Jamie talked about gamification uh, and he's, he's absolutely right. I might want to send them a monopoly board demonstrating about uh, how I am going to help them make more money. Uh, so, so th- there's other things you can send to them, Andrew, which aren't directly linked to your business, but which engage them in your sales process. So, so you want to be thinking about what those things are, and then this comes back to which I'm sure something Jay, James already covered is how how much is a client worth to you, and how much are you willing To spend to have that customer so if Andrew an average customer is worth say five thousand pounds to you per year I'm making the number up and they stay with you for five years so that that client now is worth twenty five thousand pounds then my question to you would be how much are you willing to spend to make sure you convert every single one of that those customers in your sales process and the answer from you might be I'm happy or willing to spend 500 pounds. Well, now we've got 500 pounds, we want to be thinking about what can we do with that 500 pounds to make sure we can send enough information to that customer so that when they come in front of you, they are pretty much warm and ready to buy. So the sales process now when they are in front of you, there's no heavy lifting. That, that conversation is just about them seeing you, you seeing them make sure you're comfortable with each other so the the selling should be done before they get into the room with you if that makes sense. David's been kind enough to uh, share his objective about being experts in the area and it's not for me to tell David what to do uh, but I would say why are you limiting yourself and just uh, wanting to be experts in the area why not in the region why not in the UK just a question that's for you to think about. Uh, also, uh, how you want to see Facebook groups, generally speaking, is like a CRM. So, uh, Jamie pays uh, Active Campaign, depending on the size of his list, 20 30 $40 plus per month. Uh, I pay a lot more than that to HubSpot every single month. Uh, But uh, if you have a a Facebook group that is a CRM, it enables you for free to build a relationship, David, with your customers uh, and potential customers. So some of the things that you want to be thinking about uh, and Jamie's kind of covered them is, are you looking to build relationship equity? Are you just a very nice guy? You just want to share information and share your expertise, which you can do, by the way, that's fine. Uh, Are you looking to monetize the group because you want to sell something in the future? Are you looking for more uh, serviced accommodation deals? Are you looking for more contacts? Are you looking for a joint venture partner or joint venture partners? Are you looking for funding? So the list, to some extent, is endless in terms of what are you looking for. But alongside that, something else which a Facebook group and media enables you to have, uh, which uh, people used to pay a lot of money for uh, 20 years ago, is if you have a Facebook group, you're going to build authority because it's your group. People are going to see you as the go-to person. You're going to build credibility. You're going to get brand exposure to pay for that brand exposure elsewhere is going to cost you a lot of money. So I would say to you, sit down and think a bit more about why you would want a Facebook group, what you could do with a Facebook group, uh, and what you like about other Facebook groups which you could incorporate in your own group. And again, it, it I mean, uh, Jamie and I are pretty shallow. I mean, I'm shallow, he's really, really shallow. Uh, and we like to talk about making money. That might not be a driving force for you, David, Uh, So you might just want to share information in your area. Uh, But if you have started a Facebook group, I would say carry on because the opportunities and the avenues uh, that that that's going to open for you are going to be numerous from all the way from making contacts uh, to kind of running mastermind sessions, doing interviews, getting to know people. Uh, It is a fantastic way to leverage Uh, your relationship equity with people out there. I've never been a a big fan of hiring lists, Andrew. Uh, I think it's not a good strategy. Uh, It can sometimes work. Uh, But my first question to you would be, uh, how many times have you been sent a cold email by somebody who you don't know and you've bought from them? Usually the answer is uh, not very often. Uh, so, and we've already covered the the two different ways of using lists. One is obviously you rent the list uh, where they charge you per hundred or per, or per thousand or per 10,000, uh, depending on uh, the type of list you want. And just so you know, Andrew, they do seed those lists. So every hundredth person is going to be their own email address or their own contact. So if you uh, agree to rent it for 12 months and only send 12 emails the minute you send it the 13th email, they'll find out. Whether they take some action against you or not is uh, a different thing. GDPR, it depends on uh, when that person opted into the to, to their database. Uh, if they ticked uh, a box saying, we are not happy, but we're open to you emailing us and we're open to your contacts marketing to us too. If that's the case, then you're okay. But generally speaking, the kind of companies you're talking about, have that pretty much covered now to just to kind, of, kind of discuss about lists. The problem, uh, that and I, I don't know what your results are, I don't know what your pricing is, I don't know how you do it, but generally speaking, uh, if you're looking to hire a list, and unless you're doing what Jamie said, which is possibly running a, a webinar or offering some other form of information, if you're looking to directly sell to them, generally speaking, the results aren't very good. Uh, and, and that's because, Andrew, if you were to go on a date with somebody uh, and you went for a coffee, if at the end of the date you said, can we get married? Uh, the answer usually is going to be no, isn't it? Uh, I mean, if, if your name's Jamie, you don't talk about marriage. You talk about another three letter word. But I'm not, I'm not going to say that in public today, Jamie. Uh, but most of us would be thinking about marriage, Andrew. It's not going to happen, is it? Uh, so, having, so, so emailing people with strong copy uh, and trying to sell to them is, is, is being on that first date and from, a, from coffee going to marriage isn't going to work too well. So, what I would say to you is, uh, first and foremost, build your own list. So, possibly do what David's doing by having a Facebook group. But if you don't want, want a Facebook group, have a lead magnet and have other ways. And don't have one lead magnet, by the way. Have five or ten lead magnets on different topics and different subjects linked to your business. Build your own list. And then when you, when you build your own list, don't just think about selling to them through email marketing. It's very important that you have a multimedia and a multi-step process to try and sign that person up. Just sending them loads of emails and trying to give them special offers isn't going to work that well. People also get fixated by the size of the list. The size of the list is nonsense because you could have 10,000 people on the list who haven't bought okay in the last 18 months. That list is useless to you Andrew. Or you could have a list of 500 people who've bought in the last who bought three times in the last six months because what we really want is we don't want a list of contacts. We want a list of buyers. So you want to be asking uh, the uh, list company, the uh, direct marketing company, about how often these people have bought and how many times they've bought, uh, if you're going to hire a a list. But generally speaking, build your own list, moving on quickly, because I know we've only got eight minutes left and we've got a question from somebody here about tax, which I'll, I'll try and answer. If you're doing an affiliate program uh, or a joint venture or or a mailed endorser, i.e. you go to Jamie and say, can you endorse my product to your list? That's absolutely fine. That's going to have a much higher conversion than you hiring a list and selling to the list. But if you are fixated on hiring a list and selling to the list, I'd say if you can only send 12 emails in a year, the first six emails, Andrew, don't sell anything. Build value, share share information, get them all on a webinar. Even better, try and get their uh, postal address and then send them a direct mail uh, campaign or try and get them onto Facebook, into your Facebook group. If you have a Facebook group, if you don't have a Facebook group, think about having a, a Facebook group. So try and get them to become part of your ecosystem because remember, after the 12th email, you've got to give that list back. So your um, real ambition and aim shouldn't be, let me sell some stuff to them to make my money back on the list. Your aim and ambition should be, how can I get this these people onto my list? And if you can do that, now you've not got 12 months to sell to them. Now you've got 12 years to sell to them. And then you can build that relationship and do all of the things that Jamie's talked about in the past to help you Uh, Create a customer or a client. I hope that's useful to you. Uh, David says I'm a sole trader Sorry, a sole trader driving instructor and he's learning the strategy of becoming a property investor with Progressive uh, And working with Jamie and learning uh, Forex Uh, for tax purposes. Should he have different companies? Uh, And the answer to keep it very simple uh, David is yes, so have different companies uh, for your different businesses. So if you're in property and you've got service to accommodation and you're doing HMOs or you're doing rent to rent, keep them in a separate company. If you're also doing commercial conversions, keep that in a separate company. If you're doing a totally different business, uh, like forex trading, then keep that also in a different business. I'm not going to cover all the different reasons why you want to do that. Uh, but the, the common and obvious ones are obviously to mitigate risk. Uh, to be able to understand exactly how much money each business is making. You may have different partners, uh, therefore you want to separate those businesses so so you can introduce uh, partners into a particular business. If you're looking for funding and all of your uh, businesses are together, if a particular bank or a funder asks you for a uh, personal guarantee or has a debenture over your company, that means they've got some control over all of your businesses. Whereas obviously if you've got separate businesses and you take funding for one particular company, if you give the bank a personal guarantee for that company or if they have a charge over that company, uh, then at least all of your other businesses are protected. If one business goes wrong and it's part of of five or six businesses in the same company, then obviously all the other businesses are going to be adversely affected. Whereas if you've got five different companies, one goes wrong or goes bad, the other five are gonna be separate. So some of the, those are some of the obvious uh, reasons and uh, things you should be thinking about when deciding on, should I have two businesses in the same company? Generally speaking, I don't have any clients uh, who have two businesses in the same company. We always separate stuff for the various reasons I've just covered for you. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.